I see what I say. The Green Notebook, carried by military leaders around the world. Within those pages are sweat, tears, triumphs, and the hard-won lessons of life. Lessons worth sharing. Each week, the team dives into the notebooks of military leaders, business professionals, authors, athletes and coaches, and entertainers to share lessons and help you lead with the best version of yourself. Today's episode is sponsored by Emblem Athletic. The best option out there for keeping your unit looking amazing with custom shirts, hoodies, and other gear. They're a veteran-owned business that specializes in making it easy for you. And if you've ever ordered unit gear, you know how difficult it can be. Emblem knows you have better things to do than design gear, collect money, and worst of all, sort through a bunch of shirts. Emblem takes care of everything, including, get this, free shipping worldwide. When it comes to something like a deployment shirt, you know you're going to have this for the rest of your life. So trust Emblem to deliver the best, guaranteed. Visit www.emblemathletic.com to get started with a free online store today. Welcome to another episode of From the Green Notebook. I'm your host, Joe Byerly, and this week we're diving into the green notebook of General Scott Miller. General Miller is the current and longest serving commander of the Resolute Support Mission in Afghanistan and has served a career spanning 38 years in the military. In this episode, we discuss what he's learned from his current and past assignments. We hit on topics to include communication, the habit of reading, and why he encourages leaders to carve out time for fitness. General Miller also offers some great advice on prioritization. I know it's a topic that a lot of leaders struggle with, including myself, because it seems like our to-do lists never end, and we just keep adding to them. So he says, we need to figure out the difference between what is important and what is interesting, and I think his comments on this topic will resonate with a lot of folks. We also talk about the power of communication and leadership and why leaders should write their own emails. And his reasons for writing have greatly influenced the amount of importance I place on this habit. And as I went back and listened to this interview again, it struck me that the theme of lifelong learning comes up again, again, and again in this episode. So whether we're talking about adopting a new fitness program or understanding the challenges of Afghanistan, you'll see that he's always keeping himself open to the learning process. So I think that no matter where you're at in your career, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. So please welcome to the show, General Scott Miller. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me on here today. I appreciate it. It's good to see you as well. Yeah, you too, sir. I'm really excited about this interview. And so the first question I have for you is you're currently the longest serving commander of the Resolute Support Mission in Afghanistan. And I just have to ask, what has that experience taught you? Well, first of all, you know, as you look at uh, any job in the military, you should learn something. We all should aspire to growth, regardless of what job we're in. You know, when I talk about my service as the uh, Resolute Support Commander, I talk about one other job in the Army that probably stretched me and where I learned the most. And I talk about a company commander, you know, and I took command in August of 89, and I commanded until uh, spring of 91 in Korea. And I came out a different person, you know, how I entered that command and how I left that command. Not two different people, but a person with a completely different perspective on what it meant to lead in the uh, U.S. military. And then in this job, you know, I don't believe a leader should ever feel that they've arrived, should always be constant striving to learn. 
And uh, this one's a stretch. I mean, it was uh, obviously as Joint Special Operations Commander previously, but I acknowledge it's a stretch. It puts you into new areas, uh, new places that I hadn't been before in my career. And uh, certainly you learn as you go, you know, and then again, it's a long tour, as you know. Interestingly enough, as I went back and reviewed my assignments in the military across 38 years, this is the longest period of time I've held a single job. And, uh, you know, it's now we're two and a half years plus, obviously some time more to go in the future. But with that and with the deployment, you also get tired. Your viewers that uh, have deployed before, they'll understand the tired piece. Um, but sometimes we learn some things about ourselves if we're self-aware when we get tired. And you can start seeing those areas where sometimes you don't like how you act uh, when you get tired. So there's a uh, it's a learning process, but it puts you into different spaces. You know, you mentioned a 38 year career so far. And so as you reflect back on that, what are a few crucible moments that have kind of stuck with you and shaped you to the leader you are right now? Well, by crucible, I take that as what are those tough things you've done throughout the military? I mean, there's personally something personally tough that happened to you. You know, what comes to mind, I think, in most people's thinking, you know, you think about some tough combat assignments, probably Mogadishu 1993, for different reasons. My experiences in Iraq 2005 to 2007, all of them as a leader involve casualties, they involve hard decisions, they involve learning. You know, it's actually kind of interesting because, again, going back to the concept that you're going to grow in different positions, you, know, you learn something from them all. In some cases, if I go back to the 93 experience, there's certainly some never will I let that happen again type moments, but it's all not negative. There's also some positives and you become formed by those experiences. Things that you saw were very effective at the tactical level in combat, like fitness, physical fitness, marksmanship, you know, the ability to aim and uh, actually hit your target routinely and quickly. Medical care, just watching how people have to work through uh, very difficult problems. But I'll tell you, Joe, those moments as you reflect on them, you know, what Captain Miller thought he learned, I tried not to stop learning as Captain Miller as I reflected back on that experience. Certainly, you know, understanding the different levels of that fight is very much on my mind today. As you advanced in your career, you spent a lot of time in the soft community, but then you came back out again and were the commander of the Maneuver Center of Excellence at Fort Benning, Georgia. I'm curious of that particular assignment, because a lot of things happened under you in that assignment as well. Did that assignment shape you at all? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, it was a great assignment. I recall uh, then Secretary Mattis asked me one about my most enjoyable assignment. I had in the military, and I actually went to Fort Benning, Georgia, as the uh, most enjoyable. It's a time uh, the Fort Benning commander, the Maneuver Center of Excellence commander, with his assembled leadership, uh, certainly works future concepts. But you got to remember, I was coming out of, just as you said, a, a long period of time and working with SOF or Joint Forces. And I really hadn't been back to a pure Army assignment really since about 1991, 92 timeframe. And so it was a chance to come back to the, uh, you know, what I would say is a centerpiece of certainly uh, combat arms, maneuver center of excellence. So it was very positive from that standpoint. And again, we worked the future concepts and that's what you have to do, leaders. You have to uh, spend some time working up and thinking bigger, thinking long term. But there's also a, a more satisfying piece of that, too. And it was tell our leaders where your future concepts may or may not come to fruition. But actually, what will come to fruition are the uh, lieutenants, the sergeants, the captains, 
And uh, that's called leader development. And I always say, if we don't mess that up, our concepts don't have to be perfect. They don't even have to be that good. As long as you get the leadership expanding their knowledge at a young age and uh, get them on the right track. So from that standpoint, it's positive. In terms of, you know, just a lesson learned, clearly we put uh, women through ranger school for the first time. At the time, I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I, you know, learned a bit on that. It was my first time in a while, really, in a public light across our nation. And, you know, it gave me an opportunity to understand what I think we now see more commonplace, the polarization of our country. You know, I was surprised at the uh, attacks on women that were meeting standards as went through. But it also taught me a little bit about the info space, that you have to be uh, quick in the info space. If you want to sit back and just pretend that nothing bad is happening out there, you have to be quick. And, I, and quite frankly, you have to uh, provide facts. And then you have to have some thick skin because you're going to be attacked personally. But understanding that you're going to be attacked personally should not change your convictions, your values, you know, what uh, what you are working as you go forward. So, yeah, a lot went on. But again, as Secretary Mattis asked me, I thought that'll rank up there as one of those special assignments for me. Speaking of special, you went from Fort Benning to the commander of Joint Special Operations Command. And so as much as you can, I mean, that, that's a very, they were known as a very fast-paced organization. I mean, what did you take away from that assignment? Going back to JSOC, obviously I was familiar with that community. It doesn't stop evolving. I mean, that's a, uh, another piece. It's been a while since I'd been directly in the command. Um, and the uh, evolution, in some cases, revolution was uh, quite impressive. But at the same time, it, you know, much like the greater security apparatus, you know, struggling with, you know, what is the future? What is the here and now? And how do you work it? How do you factor in this thing called great power competition while at the same time you're challenged by violent extremist organizations? And so it was an opportunity for me to start looking a little bit more seriously at some of those countries that we consider competitors. And uh, trying to understand how we as the Department of Defense, the military apparatus, are involved and what's our role. And I'm very clear what our role is in uh, combating violent extremist organizations. It was a chance to step back and take a look at things beyond the here and now. Yes, sir. I feel like one of the privileges I've had over the years is being able to work for you and see you in action as a commander. And one of the things that I felt like you've done really well you did it there, and I've seen you do it in Afghanistan, is, is the ability to prioritize. Prioritize what's important and then adjust the organization so everybody's moving in that same direction. So that's something that a lot of folks struggle with, is how to prioritize and, and how, to, how important tempo and focus is. Um, you know, wh whatever you're trying to achieve, whether it's in Afghanistan or, or a company or a battalion. So could you talk a little bit about that and like what you've learned about prioritization. You know, I, I've had a lot of great mentors and the one I, you know, steal from General Dave Perkins. You know, I remember him always uh, commenting that he was uh, overscheduled and underworked and we really weren't using the uh, value of the uh, TRADOC commander. We just kept putting him in meetings all day long and he had to sit through meetings. And I'm not sure when we thought he had time to stop and really think about where he wanted to take you know, an army operating in a complex world. What I tell people is certainly it's more acute as you become more senior. But I tell you, it really starts about the field grade level when you really have to start prioritizing how you're going to work. 
You know, I tell battalion commanders, but it really applies to the uh, guys in the threes and the XOs, the field grades, and again, the equivalent in the other services as well. But gone are the days when you're going to build a to-do list and get it all done. And so if you're not going to get it all done, you can just keep letting your to-do list get longer and longer, or you can start sorting through it and try to figure out what's important. And, uh, you know, there's important and there's interesting. And uh, what I've learned here in prioritizing and, you know, trying to get people focused, the important things must be done. You probably want to leave some time for the interesting because that's part of development, but you can't get lost in the interesting and just seem to drift off. Generally, when you find yourself in the interesting at the expense of the important, whatever your campaign objectives are, you're starting to run into what I call drift. The more senior you get, the more acute it is, the more obvious it is, but you only have so much time in the day. And how do you how do you nug down and get to the important stuff? Mick Nicholson, when I changed out with him here, had a comment and he said, only do the things that you can do. Well, of course, you ignore that and you do a lot of things that everybody else can do, too, because it's interesting. And so off you go. And then at some point you realize that uh, you may not be as effective as you need to be at the different levels you need to be because you're now you found yourself in the interesting category instead of the important category. But it's a prioritization is something your staff has to help you, but you also have to have some personal discipline to drive some of that space as well. The other thing that I feel like you've been really effective with over the years is your ability to communicate. And so what role does communication play in leadership or how you see it? Yeah. And Joe, first off, thanks. I mean, I'm glad you think that. I I don't think we, again, going back to, we should never think we've arrived. It's uh, trying to uh, spend each day figuring out how to better communicate as you go forward. Interesting enough, and I, and I talk again to the capstone class, senior leaders drive communication. If the senior leader is not interested in, in real communication, you'll never get real communication. You know, it's never perfect. But I think it's incumbent upon the senior leader to try to build a setting or a platform that drives conversation, not PowerPoint scripted briefs but that drives conversation and recognizing that the more senior you go in the military, the people just aren't ready to jump in and uh, take risk with, you know, a flag officer or a senior non-commissioned officer. They're going to stay in the safe zone. And I think it's a senior leader's responsibility to, you know, make sure they understand it's, it's okay. You can drift out of the safe zone. You can drift here. You can take a little bit of risk. I tell people as a leader, you actually have to figure out what your style is. And by the way, I've had some great mentors that I've observed and watched how they've done it and paid attention to it, but I couldn't just imitate them. I had to actually adapt it to my personal style as I've gone through the military. But I'll tell people, everyone wants a flat and fast organization where everybody knows everything all the time. But if the leader's not into it, you're not going to have a flat, fast organization. You're just not going to. You have that piece. The other thing I think a leader needs to do, and it's a challenge, is put yourself somewhere in that organization where you're able to listen and learn. You actually want to hear what's going on in your organization for good order and discipline, but also for knowledge of the uh, campaign that you're working against. You know well, you you lived it for a while. I call it the daily sit rep, which now I'm heard is affectionately called the purple note. We'll talk about routine later, but I'll just take a daily sit rep that's a, it's a beast. It's about 24 pages long. No one is going to read that really unless I come in on top of it and start commenting on it and just asking questions or, you know, acknowledging some great work out there. And 
nudging here and there, just kind of, hey, this is, you're probably in the interesting phase. Let's get over to the important stuff. And I use that. I use that as a, a daily routine of wake up in the morning and, you know, I'll plow through it. It's pretty hard to plow through. But I picked that up and it's a, uh, you know, again, it's something I'll do on a day-to-day basis. We'll run, obviously, an ops intel uh, session about three times a week. And then we'll talk about COVID one time a week. But it's always, and it's it's important for me to be there, whether I'm in Brussels doing something at NATO or I'm in Doha talking to Taliban, I'll make time out of my day to be there. I try to miss that as, uh, you know, as little as possible as we go forward. And again, that's the platform where you're, you're trying to drive conversation. You know, we've had some that get it and, uh, you know, jump right in there. And we have some that, you know, they're not going to leave the safe harbor. They're going to stay in the safe harbor. They're going to give you a script every single time. You know that's not what you want. You don't beat them up about it, but you try to continue to you know pull them into a conversation, ask them questions. Even if you know the answer, just ask them a question. If it's kind of a goofy answer, don't make a face at them if they give you kind of one of those crazy answers. But you're trying to build that conversation so that you have uh, what I refer to as the accumulation of knowledge. And that's what it is. It's, you're not going to go to one and i and be smart on Afghanistan. You actually have to sit through a lot of them to start understanding what is going on. But yeah, I just think the bigger the organization, you know, gone are the days where you're going to know everybody by first name. You're not going to know their family situation. You're not going to know their problems, but you still should try. You still should make the effort to get into the depth of your formation, full well knowing you have up and out responsibilities and lateral responsibilities. And that's the key there. Today's episode is also sponsored by veteran-owned Alpha Coffee Company. Their premium 100% Arabica coffee is freshly roasted for a bold, delicious flavor. Alpha Coffee supports veteran charities and has donated over 19,000 bags of coffee to deployed troops. They also offer a combinable 10% military discount and 10% off for subscriptions. Taste the Alpha difference. Purchase their coffee today from their online store or via Amazon Prime. You mentioned sitting down and writing at the morning sit rep. And one of the things that I've heard you say time and time again is that, you know, commanders should write their own emails, their own guidance. And one of the things that when, you know, working for you, I thought I was going to be writing that stuff for you. And I quickly learned that as a four-star commander, you write your own emails, you write your own guidance. How important is written communication to you as a commander? Well, how about we talk about how important I think it is to everybody? And again, it's going to be personal preference. I mean, I've seen where the commander's action group will write everything, put speeches down. I actually have a different view on that. And again, it's based on uh, mentors I've seen. I think if you're going to give a speech, if you're going to uh, inform your higher headquarters, whether it's the Department of Defense, whether it's somewhere in the, you know, in the White House, if it's uh, Brussels, I actually think it has to be your thoughts, particularly if you're really trying to get across certain points. And some leaders will do it a little bit differently, and that's okay. But I've seen that when commanders or leaders write to me, I can tell whether their staff wrote this or they wrote it. And uh, quite frankly, the uh, quality of uh, engagement is better when it's them. I mean, it's the commander who's writing his uh, sit rep, and it might be a paragraph. But you, uh, you start getting a feel for where that person's head is or is not. And it helps you in your uh, interactions with them. I personally also just find writing helps me think. It's hard sometimes. And one, we're not born into this. You actually have to develop a skill over time. But uh, 
sitting down and thinking about what I want to say, whether it's best military advice or just an update on the situation. Knowing my audience is the Secretary of Defense, it's uh, General Frank McKenzie, it's the chairman, it could be others in the uh, interagency process. It forces me to think through where are we, what's happened, and where are we going as well. You know, I actually go, I, I know you read, uh, you probably have read uh, Grant's memoirs. I just advocate, go back and read the uh, Vicksburg, Vicksburg orders. He wrote them. He didn't have a staff do a frag order for him. It was very complicated, filled with references. He wrote very clear, executable orders. And, uh, you know, the Vicksburg campaign is, is history. And you can actually watch his orders. Then you saw the execution. And I think the clarity of purpose was resident in those orders. There's others like him that have done that. You know, I don't think he was necessarily a great orator, but he certainly, uh, in the written word, he was uh, clear. His thoughts came out. And I think that when you look at how he communicated with the president, President Lincoln, he also would send him messages of, hey, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. You know, here's my intention. And the president would go, okay, I've got it. I may not be able to understand it from the media releases. I may not be able to understand it on the telegraph typos, you know, that are resonant during the age. But when he understood the letters, he uh, clearly understood it. So I, I, I've used that as a, uh, and I'd advocate that as a development tool for all aspiring leaders. So you mentioned reading. What role has that practice, practice of reading, played in your career? Joe, I, I just believe if you're a serious practitioner in our business, you have to be a uh, voracious reader. If you're not, I think it becomes very readily apparent. You know, you may be able to fake it at certain levels. Uh, but it gets to a point where you're either well-read and understand and able to talk on uh, you know, topics outside your expertise or you're not. If you want to be a player and you know, we talk about great power competition, you actually have to understand a little bit about it. You know, what are the geopolitical events that surround this? You know, when I push here, what's going to happen on the other side? And so I just believe you have to understand history. You have to understand um, you know, many facets of this uh, very complex business that we're in. So yeah, I look and try to encourage people I work with to read. You've got to make it kind of interesting for them as well. I think that's a leader's job. You don't just give them a reading list. You actually explain to them, much like you do very well in your weekly column, why you're uh, giving them this book and why you think it's important uh, for them to read. One of the things that I've heard a lot of people say is, well, I don't have time to read. I'm so busy, but you're the commander of all the forces in Afghanistan and you still find time. How do you do that? How do you make that time? Again, it goes back to prioritization of your time. I think reading is actually part of your time to think, depending on what you're reading. If you're reading junk, a big thought may not emerge, but actually reading about people that have uh, had similar challenges and, uh, you know, as you called it, the crucible experiences. You know, how do they deal with it? How did Kissinger and uh, Creighton Abrams team up to uh, end the Vietnam War? How did they do that? And what did they uh, learn as they, you know, together as they went forward? I mean, so, you, you, you know, you may not get a repeat of history, uh, but you certainly have the, uh, the themes and uh, in some cases start understanding the potential consequences of your actions beforehand. I just tell people that are struggling to find time to read if you don't and you move through the senior ranks, you run the risk of becoming a very short-term thinker. And you may be very good at short-term thinking, but trying to think the uh, middle and a, and a bit longer, you'd be in a better place if you were actually uh, well-read on similar type topics. And speaking of that, are there any books, you know, maybe like three to five that kind of stand out to you 
that have been extremely influential in your career? Yeah, you know, I probably have thrown uh, once an eagle at you, but I thought I saw Stan McChrystal uh, use that on a podcast. And, and it actually, you know, it goes back to a, uh, you know, some of my thinking, what you thought when you read Once an Eagle the first time, and then you come 30 years later and you go back in and you read it, you might read it from a uh, different perspective. The Sam Damon, the Courtney Massengill, you know, comparison, which as a young officer or a cadet in my case, uh, you know, you see good versus evil and you might see it a little bit different as you grow through the uh, time. You know, like I said, I don't have a uh, book list, but I'll throw some ideas out. One of the things I do is, again, if you're going to encourage young readers, I say you've actually got to find something that entices them to read. And, you know, some uh, good historical fiction. I know you've been talking about Gates of Fire of late. I guess we'll throw Lonesome Dove out there in honor of uh, Larry McMurtry, who just passed away. That's historical fiction. The Centurions and the Praetorians, I've talked to you about those. Historical fiction. But that's it. Historical fiction, you know, where it pulls from some real life events. It ought to propel you to, uh, hey, what really happened? You know, what, what were they talking about the day before Gettysburg when they had that uh, famous commander's meeting? You know, certainly Sahara puts in the uh, words in there and imagines what they're all saying. John Reynolds is trying to move i up. But what really was happening there? And, you know, then you start going in and you dig into the history and you try to understand what the decision making is. I mean, I don't know. You read uh, a lot of Stephen Pressfield and uh, I've read his books as well. But I don't think we really know what Denikis and Leonidas were talking about by the campfire. You know, he's put some good uh, ideas in our minds, you know, trying to tell us and explain the Spartan culture. But what were they thinking is uh, 300 plus allies, you know, at the gates of Thermopylae? Well, that's probably not a bad jump off into the Peloponnesian Wars, which are actually just trying to jump into those cold. It's a uh, pretty tedious endeavor for the best of us. But having something to start understanding the Spartans and the Persians, Sparta and Persians, and then you can start trying to figure out Athens and Sparta as you go forward. Books I'm reading right now, Joe, that I, I find uh, interesting. One, and I've started pushing around, it's actually uh, titled Lee Kuan Yew. I don't know if you've heard of him, but it's Insights, the Grandmaster's Insights. He passed away in 2015, but you start seeing the world leaders that would go to him, you know, as he led Singapore post-World War II into basically a backwater country, into, you know, a very developed nation, but also a very, very uh, understanding of what's going on with China, what's going on with violent extremism, you know, what's going on in the world economies. And I think it's a, a great book for anybody. It's really a series of questions posed to him. I think it was about 2012. So I'd recommend that. Uh, Ghost Wars, I'm reading, going back, digging into that. It's very relevant for contemporary times. And, uh, you know, as we're sitting here watching Pakistan acting, what are they doing, you know, underneath that public face? What's the region doing as we're uh, at many of the same players and we're trying to determine how do we responsibly end a war? Are we able to responsibly end a war? So I use that blood and oil, get your head out of Afghanistan, a little bit about Mohammed bin Saif in uh, Saudi Arabia. You know, you have to understand these guys. It's, um, it's more than a media story. I think you've probably read Burn In. I think it's good for us to understand and be able to, uh, you know, start projecting to the future what we might be uh, might be dealing with. And I'm actually a fan of about anything on Amazon right now. You know, Bezos is just brilliant. And, you know, I don't know him personally, but if you just look at how he works and how he thinks, you know, that's I think that's worthy of study of people that are trying to see ahead 
you know, you don't know how things are going to turn out, but you're able to look over that horizon and have a pretty good idea that you've got a good idea. So how was that for a list, Joe? That's great, sir. I'm going to make sure, again, every time we talk, you end up adding more books to my reading list. And so I, I really appreciate that. Mentors that I've had and people I respect, anytime I see someone reading, I want to know what they're reading. And, you know, there's times where that'll pull you into a, uh, into a read. So I think it's not just me telling people books to read. It's me trying to find books to read from uh, different people that are taking advantage of that as well. The only thing I'd say on that is, uh, you know, what I, I started thinking through this is reading. I talked about voracious reading, but I think trying to then take it to a practitioner level whenever it's possible. It's not always possible based on our uh, positions or station in life at the time. I think that's a, uh, you know, a way because reading in some cases is theory and it's a perspective. and uh, you know, maybe testing it out is not a bad thing. Seeing if you can pull some of those ideas over into how you're working, how you're leading. And shifting gears just a little bit, in addition to reading, one of the other habits I feel like I really just increased even more in my tour with you in Afghanistan was a focus on fitness. For those who weren't at Resolute Support, especially before COVID, is we had something called fitness opportunities. And I'd really say like the entire base, you'd have anywhere from 150 to 250 people would come together and do physical fitness together. And it was one of those things that I enjoyed so much that we have family fitness opportunities now every single Saturday as a family. And we do a very similar type of fitness event. So how important of a role is fitness for leaders and for organizations? Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, Joe, we still do it. We do it in a smaller scale because of COVID. COVID changed a lot out here, changed a lot across the world. Remember when I talked about a crucible experience and I said that was one of them. I I just watched in 93, the uh, stamina of people that were fit just perform better. And that's not a knock on people less fit, but I saw that as an attribute for, uh, Going through a very, very difficult situation, no sleep, short on water, obviously, you know, you're not eating food type thing, but how do you stay resilient? And uh, I certainly believe fitness is one of the pillars. It's not the only pillar. You obviously have, uh, you know, just as we look at it, we certainly know diet, fitness and sleep all go together. And then we can start talking about those things that we do to strive to improve our cognitive performance. As I look at it, we want leaders to be a package, and I'm not implying I am, but it's a, it's a total package. You know, fitness, uh, you know, I'll turn 60 in a uh, month and a half or so. I actually believe it's even more important now because what you're doing now is uh, not just to be fit for the week. It's fit for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, you talk about the uh, resolute support piece. It just took me a while of doing that. And then I just started looking at it. I said, we might be hurting people. How do we come up with a program that actually makes us stronger, you know, more capable without inducing injuries? And that's a learning. You know, it took me, what, 37 years of service to figure that out there. You know, it's always great to get out there and, you know, show off your uh, physical prowess. But how do you bring, I believe it is possible, to bring an entire formation or group on? And I believe that not only is it part of our job, but I think a culture of fitness is certainly one of the pillars we have to strive for. I could go on. I'll do that separately with you. What I think I've learned in the last year of just trying not to hurt people, but at the same time, extend them, stretch them in fitness at their, you know, where they are. And then uh, 
have a good sense that you're not only doing it for the job that we're in today, but it's actually something that will benefit them the rest of their life as well. So yeah, I think it's very important. It's, it's credibility in the force, but a culture of fitness, I don't believe is too difficult to achieve. And what you saw in Resolute Support, it was uh, obviously a multinational event. And I would say that it was uh, almost as important, the gathering of those people, as was the fitness event. You know, when you are able to combine those and make that part of your organizational culture, that PT is not a drag, but PT is actually something people want to do. And as you, at least in your case, I've heard it from other people as well, you took it home and uh, you got the family involved, you know, so now it's a family event. You know, you've got some uh, young children doing box jumps and kettlebell swings. I just ask you, don't hurt them. Don't do what I did my first 37 years, Joe. I just recently, I interviewed uh, Diamond Dallas Page, a former professional wrestler. He's turning 65 this year and, and he's got us doing his workout program as well, which is DDP yoga. It focuses on mobility and flexibility and strengthening core. And so I, I remember you would actually get on to me all the time for trying to max out on bench, pointing out that I, I'm going to end up hurting something that I'm not going to be able to fix. And so I've, I've gotten away with that and have focused much more on the core, the mobility and the flexibility. And, I, and it definitely feel better across the board, way less aches and pains than I was trying to see how much weight I could lift. Great. That's what we're doing as well. And really trying to explore full range of motion instead of uh, what our habits get us into, which is something less. And, uh, you know, try to do it with as few Motrin and Tylenol intakes as possible. And quite frankly, try to do it with as few as supplements as possible. I think that's uh, what we should all strive for. That's what you're going to need. And uh, I think it's very possible. Yes, sir. So I know your time is extremely valuable. And so the final question I have for you is what do you want your legacy to be in the military, you know, with the people who work for you as you look back on that? Yeah, you don't get to determine your legacy. I mean, I think you know that. I mean, that's just what you said. It's, it's your subordinates, it's your peers. In some cases, it's superiors. I'll tell you, your peers and subordinates are going to be uh, more important uh, determining your legacy. As I look at it, it, you know, we'll see when the transition to out of the military into a, another life. I think I'd like to say that it's, oh, wow, he just kept doing stuff. Uh, that's that's part of it. Because, uh, you know, I've talked about some people I've, I've known, obviously, that mentored me along the way. I had one of them say, if you're not going somewhere, you're not going anywhere. And so even as he's getting older, he's still pushing and content on that. So I think that would be something I'd like to be known for. I'm still going somewhere, you know, somewhere with a purpose that's, you know, relevant to doing something well in a new environment as we go forward. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to your relationships. Watch people like you. How do you fare moving through the military? You know, I'm certainly of less help to you. The more uh, senior I get as I transition out, but at the same time, that's your legacy or the people that continue to serve either the military or the country or the community, whatever they decide to do going forward. But Joe, thank you for the time tonight. And this is worth my time, so don't worry about it, okay? Thank you very much. This was a great interview. And I'm looking forward to airing this one and continuing to share lessons with folks as they listen to this interview. So thank you very much. You give me book recommendations. <laughs> will do, will do. Thank you again to all our listeners for joining us on another episode of From the Green Notebook. Check us out at fromthegreennotebook.com, where you can download past episodes, read some of our previous blog posts, and sign up for our monthly reading list and Sunday email. 
If you enjoy the podcast so far, please subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at FTG Notebook, as well as Instagram and Facebook. You can find us by just searching From the Green Notebook. So this is Jacob Garonsky signing off and hope you tune in to our next episode. I came from the mud. There's dirt on my hands. Strong like a tree. There's roots where I stand. Oh, I've been running from the law. Hope they won't shoot me down soon.